welcome to this Dealer's Edge online training seminar featuring Mike Nichols with his suggestions on how to avoid physical parts inventory horror stories. Mike Nichols is the founder and president of Nichols Capital Management, a fixed operations advisory firm working with automotive businesses worldwide. I'm Mike Bowers with Dealer's Edge. You can always send a question to me via email. We don't charge for that ever. Get the response back to you within 36 to 48 hours. Mike, do we have any questions from the group? Uh, yeah, let me. Uh, the first one is uh, relates to, to, to slide 22. Uh, that's where you you explained uh, how to you know, the the process for counting the uh, the fastest moving parts. Could you go over that okay. again? I think that was uh, a couple people okay. in the audience had a, had a hard time following that. All right. What we're looking for is to say, I want to look at those parts that represent the greatest amount of my business. Now, you have some parts you sell three or four times a year. You have some parts you sell hundreds of pieces a year. The report from the DMS system that tells you what those are is called a piece sales ranking report. Sometimes it's referred to as an ABC piece sales ranking report. The criteria in the DMS system for getting it is I take all the pieces of every, every part number you sold during the last 12 months. Every DMS system has that data buried in there somewhere. And it then sorts all the part numbers, not by part number sequence, but by the volume of pieces you sold in the last 12 running months. Obviously, the ones at the top of that list are going to be things like oil and spark plugs and nuts and bolts and things like that. You all know the super fast moving parts. And then as we drop down that list, we get down rather quickly. Two or 300 numbers represents 60 to 80% of all the stuff you stuff across the counter. It's those parts on that list that you want to set up for a perpetual inventory. Does that answer the question? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, there was just some concern about it, uh, confusion about it. if you're not going to do the full count, how do we do these, uh, these sort of uh, less than well, full you counts? Can, you can certainly do the full count, yeah. but that's going to take many, 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 many hours, and it's not going to go to what you're looking for, and that is, is my inventory secure and the counts are accurate? Now, let me just insert one little thing here. When counts are short, the first knee-jerk reaction people say is somebody stealing them. Well, let me tell you from experience, certain parts people don't steal. First of all, they don't steal obsolescence. I wish they would. If they would steal my obsolete parts, I'd put a pink poster on every obsolete part. I'd put a great big sign as big as a 4A piece of plywood in the parts bar and saying, if you're going to steal from me, steal these pink posted parts. Second, nobody steals parts when we stock one up. It's too easy to see that it's gone. So if you take all the parts where you physically stock more than two and you're selling more than 20 pieces a year, and there's a parallel between those two, and you set those up in the perpetual monthly inventory, you're going to spot errors if they occur. Uh, Doug from the audience uh, just wanted to offer a comment. Um, this has to do with uh, what you said about parts managers being money managers. He said he was in one of your seminars uh, years ago when you, you took a $20 bill from Doug, set it on fire in front of the group, and then told him that that was obsolescence. <laughs> or used that as an, an example of obsolescence. 
Uh, well, actually, to... actually, I used to do that with hundred dollar bills, and I graduated. It's funny, I don't do it anymore. Boy, I'm glad I missed those classes. Um, he, uh, anyway, Doug has never forgotten it. It was a good lesson, uh, and he thanks you for it. Thank you, Doug. Uh, okay, uh, another question. Um, this has to do with, this is really off topic a little bit, uh, return on investment. You showed an example of a, of a dealership with uh, something like $500,000 in parts inventory. What's a, what's a reasonable return on investment uh, for the dealer to be looking for on that? On an well, average, five, five, five. All right, I, I need to qualify that a little bit, too, because okay. you can look at return on investment restricted the total dollar amount when many of those parts have really no return. Parts are selling once or twice a year. Okay. We don't get a return on investment. It's better to look at the at the margins that those parts are making. Now, mm -hmm. from, a, from a general overall standpoint, if all the expenses are being allocated fairly, now that's a really iffy statement, and we have a good gross, gross margin, we'll generally have a good return on investment. Gross profit margins, if they're between about, oh, 26 to 34 percent, are really in pretty good shape. But we saw some areas of parts for selling, for instance, wholesale, where people are so enamored in getting volume that they cut the margin down to cost plus 10, cost plus 12 or 15. I've seen it all over the country, in many countries. The problem with a low margin it's not that I'm making some money with high volume. It's what happens when parts come back to me as returns, such as wholesale, that were sold at those lower margins. Because then I'm putting parts back in the inventory that I have a hard time reselling, and it does affect the return on investment. So we look more at the gross profit margin by sales type, making sure that we're not cutting our own throats. And that brings us into a whole other discussion uh, which could last more time than we have, on how do I control returns from customers. This is becoming an endemic problem, particularly from body shops, mechanical shops, and the fact that we've got two major insurance companies, Allstate and State Farm, that are out there stirring up the muck, getting people to buy and only pay a certain amount of margin, well, that's fine. If I've got volume, I can cover a lower margin. But if I sell to somebody at a lower margin, I don't want those parts coming back to me. So a very strong return process has to be put in place to protect the dealership from those voracious customers out there. And I'm referring now to outside body shops and mechanical shops and State Farm and, and all states that are trying to wheedle down the margins with no thought that maybe if they're returned, what do I do with them next? Uh, and in the same vein, Mike, what's your current thinking on using a, a, price, a pricing matrix or a grid system to, to price parts? That's a good question. It requires a little bit of foundational material. Matrix okay. pricing came into our industry in the late 70s, early 80s, through a couple of individuals that had tremendous exposure in working with parts departments all over the country. At that time, the general public had no idea what our parts cost, what our list was. But all of a sudden, they would say, Dieter, here's a good way to make a quick buck. We can put a matrix in there. We can crank the margins up. We can crank the prices up. The customer will never know it. And indeed, when those parts are less than 50 bucks, back there was a little less money, but now $50 is the number, most customers won't pay attention to it. That was then, not now. 
Now, as we all know, we can go on the Internet. I can get the price, the cost price to the dealer of every part for every manufacturer except two. And that's Rolls-Royce and Bentley, and who cares? Because it's all out there on the Internet. I can get the suggested selling price. That's what all state and state farmers are trying to butcher on us. So the customer no longer is this uneducated customer that comes in and says, okay, what do I have to pay for it? Gee, I hope I can afford it. They walk in knowing more about the cost of our product than sometimes we do. And it also extends out in the new car department, too. People can walk in knowing everything, every car, what it costs, the dealer, what the holdback programs are, everything else. They walk in knowing more about the cost of the part than the salespeople do. Matrix pricing, and this is my comment on it, and I'll let it say this. Be careful. Don't use matrix pricing as a panacea, as a sop, as a quick, quick cure for improper, ineffective management practices. It's not a good idea because if the customer thinks, just perceives, that we're jacking the price for some reason, one time, they're gone. Now, if you're a rural dealer and you're 90 miles from somebody else, you probably get away a little bit more. In an urban area, you won't get away with it. And a lot of parts departments have seen their sales suffer because they got too aggressive with the matrix thinking the customer wouldn't care or couldn't find out. Okay.